Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. So we're going to do a quick toast. What do you want to toast to? Um, what should we toast to? Um, vibrating higher and manifesting everything that we know that we want. I love that. And not being talked out of what we want. I think that's where I'm at too. I feel like people have tried to talk me out of what I want. Yes. <laughs> we got to put us first, Lucius. Yeah. Salud. Drink to that. Think of yourself, queen. Mm-hmm. Mm. I feel like every show starts off with me slurping. Wow. Hello, everyone. Welcome wow. to another, I know, slurp, slurp. <laughs> Different kind, different kind of pod. I know, right? It's giving, yeah. it's giving horrible instead of yeah. It's, and he's out of humanized. Yeah, instead of humanized. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you uh, for joining us once again. Welcome to another installment of Humanized. I'm your host, Blue Tulusma. And today we have an extra special guest. Yay. We are here with Grammy Award winning <laughs> singer songwriter. Podcaster, yes, on-air personality, mm. um, former reality star, not not so much anymore. No, uh, fiance, Ooh. and this is even more more rare than everything I just said. Mm. Marathon runner, wow, Bridget motherfucking Kelly, wow, yeah. Can you send me that? I need that intro. I need that intro to be my official intro. Girl, you are a statistical anomaly for all the things. For all the things, <laughs> the I illustrious need, Bridget Kelly. Illustrious is the word, Bridget. Yeah. I. Ugh. I love you so much. Oh, I love you too. And here's the thing. I, I can only do the show with people that I love because I don't want to get tipsy on camera with strangers. Oh, because your face inspires emojis and you don't want anybody to see that you actually don't. Bridget's <laughs> making fun of me because... <laughs> you actually don't like them. It's going to be all over your face. There's a secret, guys. A lot of you who think I like you, I'm just, I just have a friendly face. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard when people think that you want to be their friend and you're just being polite. Like, is that is that hard? Yes, because how do you because then it, because then it forces you into you have you having to reject people and people are like, well, damn, bitch, your face lied. Yeah, my face is a lie. <laughs> your face is a lie. That's not gonna be the name of the podcast. <laughs> We're not calling this my face is a lie. The funny thing is, you are the opposite. Where you come off so stoic and you have that voice. Yeah, I feel like, but and that works against me because I'm Why? really nice. Because yeah. I'm nice You're and my tone. Nice. I'm kind and my tone will will suggest that I'm trying to be abrasive and aggressive mm-hmm. and that's not really where my voice is trying to go. So if I ask a question, right? So I check I went to check my bag to to get on my flight to come here. By the way, Bridget is in LA. For those of you who are not watching, we are in Los Angeles, not New York. No. Aaron, there's so many cameras. Which one is mine? I feel like that one is yours. Okay, that one's Bridget's? Yeah. yeah. I want to look into the camera. Y'all, Bridget Kelly is in Los Angeles. I am. And she's in Los Angeles because she's working. 
I'm working on things. Things. <laughs> I'm like things. We're not gonna we're not gonna expose everything, but things. No, but she's working on things because it's several things that we're working on. Yeah, and everybody who who knows you and loves you yeah. is hoping for the thing. Yeah, they all want they all want the thing. They all want the thing. I want the thing too. So Ooh. that's why we're here. That's kind of sexy. But go ahead. Yeah. So you you were I mean it, you're <laughs> slurping. I want the thing. We're just <laughs> this show already got off the rails and welcome to so humanize. many plausible moments. Mm -hmm. So what happened yeah. for it? So I was trying to check my bag. Oh, just Madeline outside on her scooter. It's, it's in um, New York. It's, yeah, I was trying to check my bag and the guy was like, well, you know, we don't, I, I, it, they changed the rules to now it, have to, it has to be an hour before you check your bag. It can't be 45 minutes. When did that happen? Literally two weeks ago because I was definitely, <gasps> I was definitely at, at JFK in the Delta Sky Priority Terminal on the 1st and they didn't give me any fucking problems. So, wow. um, so it's new. So the guy was like, well, nah, we changed the rules. Now it's an hour. So I was like, okay, so why, so it was 45 minutes before? <laughs> And he was like, well, no, we were just granting you the courtesy. I said, so are we not, we're now not granting the courtesy? And I could, like, I could feel like the, and I wasn't frustrated. I was just kind of like, so we're, not, so we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. So so you were doing that. And then you just, you decided, you just woke up and decided we're no, we're no longer doing that. <laughs> and he goes, I'm going to get the manager for you. <gasps> so now I'm like, okay, get the manager for me. Go ahead and get the manager for me. But do you okay for those who are not watching you and who are just hearing you? You it is giving stern. It's giving. I'm ready. I'm I'm ready to fight. I'm bubbling. Yeah. I'm bubbling over like I'm a pot that's boiling. It's bubbling over and it's about to. Everything is about to go. It's down like bougie place. menacing, which to me is like I'm not really. I'm asking a question. I'm at this point. I'm like, if you got to put me on a different flight, you got to put me on a different flight. But I can tell that my face and my tone are saying. Say that shit to me one more fucking time and I'm going to jump over this counter and strangle you. Like, I know that's what my face says. Hello, guys. If you haven't guessed, Bridget is an Aries. We do, we do astrology on the show. <laughs> Bridget is an Aries, guys. I am. Aries, sun, and moon. So. Oh, God. That's fine. So everything is emblazoned at all times. Okay. Mariah. But the, so. <gasps> you, a, you know the lyrics to that song? Are you kidding me? I'm an Aries and she's, an, she's my favorite artist of all time. Yeah. You, you could play her in the biopic. I would love to play her in the biopic. We're going to manifest that for you because that's going to be hilarious. I'm going to have to take that medication that everybody's been taking for diabetes to lose the weight to look like Mariah. Oh, Oxy something? Yeah, I heard about that medication. But what if you think you might have a little bit of diabetes and you want to lose weight? <laughs> it could be like a two for one? No. I was trying to practice what to tell my doctor because I was looking into it on YouTube. Chances are if you're trying to, if you, yeah. If chances are, if you have diabetes, you might want to lose weight. But, but if I don't have diabetes, though. I just feel like, <laughs> <laughs> look, medical racism can sometimes work in your favor. If you are a plus size black woman, you can convince them you have anything and they will believe you. I've had a cold and be like, it's because you need to lose weight. It's a cold. Except pain. In the minute you have pain, it's like, no, you don't. That's true. Oh, we got deep really It's like quickly. a scale. It's a scale of one to ten. Pain, seven. No shot. You're built like a sumo wrestler. What do you mean? Did I tell you about Your the seven is really a two. My like, doctor, what? she literally gave me blood work assuming that I needed to lose weight and was said to me, she was shocked when everything came out beautiful. She was like, I'm surprised. And I was like, I don't think you're supposed to be, say you're surprised that I'm healthy. I mean, I went to a doctor and they told me that I was obese and that I was, I, that, <gasps> that, that actually qualified me for the COVID vaccine. You're obese, so I'm the son. Okay, we're gonna pivot. That's ridiculous. I was like, wow. I was like, it's a really good. Doctors are so racist. I'm like, should, the... does this feel like fat? Am I being fat shamed? And I'm, wait a minute. Those who have seen Bridget's body, you are nobody's obese. I mean, that was the word. That was the word that was used. She said I was medically. She said, "Well, medically." I said, "Well, what other medically fucking obese sounds worse?" But what other way is there? What other way is it? Although, metaphorically obese? I, I, figuratively, you're obese. Like, please let me know. Spiritually, uh, spiritually obese. That means you're abundant. Mm -hmm. No, 
<laughs> being spiritually obese wouldn't mean you're abundant. Sounds like you got a lot going on. Yeah, it does. It sounds like you. It's you, it's tricky. It's yeah. tricky. It sounds tricky. We're back to New York. Whenever I'm around a New, yeah. a New Yorker, <laughs> everything is goddamn tricky. Uh, my friend Aaron, tricky. shout out to Aaron, not the Aaron, the producer. My other friend Aaron, who was on the show. Everything when he came on the show. Oh, that's a tricky question. I was Aaron, like, Aaron Bernard. Yes, love you, Aaron. Yeah, tricky, tricky, everything tricky. is tricky. We love Aaron. He has yeah. great skin, by the way. Yeah, he does. I love how God gives men perfect skin and long lashes when they don't need them. Perfect skin and just the capability to not lie. Everybody's oh. it's men can't lie. Men are terrible liars. You know, I'm, I'm gonna say something controversial. You know what kind of men can lie really well? The feminine ones. Mm. And there's a word that I'm not gonna call men anymore that starts with a B, but feminine made men. Can we say soft? I say zesty. That's worse than soft. Zesty men are good liars. <laughs> zesty is so much worse than soft. Zesty soft men. Soft at least the kind like this. The, when you think about soft, you no. think about pillows. No, when you think about zesty. Zest, you think about salt, bay, And you, that's you, not. Tangy. Mm -mm. No, they're tangy, babe. Tangy? Mm -hmm. Some of y'all are tangy and we need to discuss it. Ooh. And that's fine. But we were talking about in a previous episode about how a study came out that said that they're realizing that black women, when they're depressed, it manifests different. And oh. all the markers of a black woman be depressed sounds like she's angry. What were the markers? Being irritable, not okay. getting enough sleep, and being hypercritical. Most of those things are byproducts of each other, but okay. So they're saying that the angry black woman archetype is just like depression. if I'm irritable, it's because I didn't get enough sleep. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like one is one is the one is the is the cause is the the cause and effect. Like it, there's cause and effect. But they're happening. saying not sleeping, being irritable, and just being just like like nasty. That's how we show our depression. So the angry black woman, she's just sad. I know these studies are, are re revealing a lot of things. I want to pivot real quick to how we met because part of humanizes people are always wondering, Blue, how do you know these people? Okay. And I want to level set to the fact that we met because you were a, a reoccurring guest on the Steve Harvey show. Mm -hmm. And I, it was so funny because you had a dating show like segment when you were single. Yes. We're just a fiance now, guys. Yes. But when you were single, you had three guys like the dating show and two out of three were my good friends. And one of the one of the one of those two was actually really good friends with my ex boyfriend, so that was awkward. Oh, he played basketball with him all the time. They, you talking about Norm? Yeah, they used Norm to been they, on the show. I know they did. They used to do. They used to do pickup games together all the time. By the way, the joke is that everybody in LA knows Norm, though. So now you're telling people in New York know Norm too. I mean, I'm I met him because of LA. My ex in LA, they <gasps> play pickup games together here. Yeah, like I remember one time we were watching something on TMZ, and it was about Nick Cannon was having a baby number seventeen oh. or something, and <laughs> TMZ was trying to show up to the secret baby shower, and we're watching it for Hollywood Unlocked so we could get the tea. In the background, there's Norm eating a crudite platter. Uh, I said, Norm, why are you on TMZ? He's like, oh, I grew up with her. I was like, Norm, who don't you know? Wow. Yeah, Norman knows everybody. And I remember when I saw you on the on the show, we all got together at my friend Amber's house to watch the show. Mm -hmm. And as I'm watching the show, I'm like, she's too good for all of them. Like, I was like, oh, man, this is awkward. Because no shade to my friends. I love them. But you were above the kind of Well, yeah, but also, I mean, these were, these were the guys that, that, had, that had great qualifications on paper yes. that... Um, were attractive enough to to come on the show and and participate in this, you know, basic no, basically Steve Harvey's rendition of Singled Out. But Norman was fine though. Like, like we'll say Norman is an extremely attractive man. Like he's very. Okay. I always say he looks like one of the Wayne's brothers and maybe Trey Songs and somebody else. Ha all had a whatever. He looks he looks like in the '90s he would have been a heartthrob. 
and yeah, he, he's giving very much '90s heartthrob. It's giving. It was giving. It's giving the CW. It is. Yeah, and so when I ran into you for the first time in person, yeah. at that HBO event, mm-hmm. and I'm with my other friend Obi, mm-hmm. I was like, Obi, I've seen the last three girls you brought around. There goes Bridget. Um, I'm gonna go introduce myself because I need you to date better women. So I made a beeline to you with ulterior motives. Oh, I was. I was like, Bridget, were you trying to get me to date him then? Yeah, because because I, I was tired of the girls he was bringing home. Oh, I was like, this is who you need to be dating. I was like, she's the kind of girl that you need to be. She's a grown up, first of all. Well, yeah. And then he, his response was, well, she didn't pick me. And I was like, well, Men are fragile. I know. Men are fragile. And so I thought that I was trying to hook y'all up, but I ended up with a friend. Yeah. And now, Bridget, you, you went from being. <laughs> Can you imagine? She, she, she ended up hooking herself up. I know. Hooked me up. I was <laughs> my own wingman. Up. You were your own wingman. Look at Aww. that. Look at and, you go. And, and now we're realizing that we probably played cousins in the past we, life. Yeah, we definitely were. We, we definitely were. We have way too much in common, including being love children. Yeah. For those who don't know the euphemism, a love child is what you call it, is when your daddy got somebody and he also has your mommy. And then you happen. That is, <laughs> that's how we explain it in school. What happens is, is there's a lot of love. To go around. And it's usually, there's you're usually, a and there's usually more than two people that have love. It's in it's a it's usually a triangle of love and it all a goes triangle in one of love <laughs> that could be on your next album triangle of love that's very seventies of you yes that sounds, that sounds like a disco song that we would perform mm, triangle I, I can of hear love. the Bee Gees in the background I'm seeing yeah. soft lights no the thing about being a love child is like being the product for me I call I used to say I'm the product of an affair I was an oversharer as a child people would be like where's your dad I'm the product of an affair I'm like stop telling people. <laughs> I didn't have the product of an affair. I read too much as a child. So I was using. Oh, I did too. I I said, I'm the product. Love child. They told me by school. They were like, can you say love child instead? I mean, my mother was Catholic. So it was. So so I was the illegitimate child. That's how we were. We were the the illegitimate. It was like, oh, okay. Well, this is this is his. uh, This is his illegitimate family. Got it. Do you know that because Boston has the highest population of Catholic people outside of Ireland? Mm -hmm. My first crush was a boy named Timothy Fitzpatrick. I'm, I'm very sorry for you. He was Puerto Rican and Irish. <laughs> I'm very. I'm also. I'm very sorry for I, you. That's why sometimes when black men are like, I had no choice. These are all the women that live in Idaho. I kind of get it because in Boston at St. Peter's, <laughs> all I have Boston at St. Peter's, St. Peter's Catholic School. All I have oh, is shit. Timothy Fitzpatrick and my cousin. I'm so sorry. And I, I'm not from Alabama, so Timothy Fitzpatrick was was kind of it. Was it. Now, Bridget, you're wow. now on a podcast. I, I, I yes. Because you know you are Chanteuse. What does chanteuse mean? It's a pretty French word for singer. Oh. You're chanteuse. But when you started the podcast, yeah. I literally only watched because I was like, I just want to be supportive. You know how I am. If I know somebody and they're doing something, yeah. unless it sucks. We talked about this off camera. Yes, we did. That's okay. Unless it sucks. I'm, I can st- I would I'm still feel, it out. if it sucks, I would still feel your support some other way as like, a Yeah. So I, start, I started listening to it because <laughs> I was like, I need to support Bridget. She's doing something amazing. She has a great voice. Yeah. I just want to hear her voice however I can. Mm-hmm. I've watched it blossom so much in the past two years. Thank you. Now, my question is, mm-hmm. what is your favorite thing that you've learned about yourself from being a podcaster mm-hmm. and your least favorite thing about being a podcaster? Because right now, anybody with Wi-Fi thinks they can podcast. They, and I need you to correct. explain that and it's a And anyone skill. with electricity and Wi-Fi, actually. If you have a microphone, you think you can podcast. And some of you need to stick to going on Twitter. But go ahead. Um, my favorite thing about podcasting would probably be... Um, we never run out of things to talk about. Oh, that's brilliant. Which is really nice because I get to pod with somebody that also never runs out of things to talk about. So and shout, and shout I, out who your co-host Shout out to is. Mandy B. We always, we're able to talk about so many different topics and we have, we, we hardly ever agree on anything. What do y'all agree on? Um, the podcast. 
<laughs> she agrees on direct deposit. We agree on yes. the podcast. We agree on the fact that we don't want to do it with anybody but 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 each other. That's beautiful. Um, because there was a lot of there was a lot of um Destiny's static cousin. and noise. It was giving Destiny's cousin in the yeah, beginning. A little bit. Um, and so I think we both realized that we value friendship, we value loyalty, we value um value sisterhood and I and I I think that's really dope because we're not I, I realized I realized through the podcast too that I am not as it's gonna be a controversial t- controversial hot take I am not as a um, as much of a girl's of a girl's girl as I thought I was gasp mm-hmm. really yeah I'm not as much of a girl's girl as I thought I and was and what made you realize that um, life lessons and accountability and emotional maturity made me realize I can't just root for women. I can't just want it to be all about women all the time because we're women. Mm-hmm. That to me does not, um, there's no accountability in that. There's no room for growth and expansion in that. And so I realized even working with Mandy that a lot of decisions that we've made, a lot of choices that we have been, been pushed to make and, and pressures that we've had, um, to feel a certain way or think a certain way or present ourselves a certain way mm-hmm. um, are, is really rooted in, you know, the patriarchy deciding that the only way for us to be proud to be women and be supportive of other women is if we're just always going to ride for each other, right or wrong, good or bad, which to me is which to me is a slippery slope. So I realized that as much as I am pro-women, I'm pro-black women, I'm still... I'm also pro truth and pro accountability. This is why I fucks with you. So that's what I. This is why I fucks with you because I I think I mentioned it a lot of times that I have anxiety about socializing with women Mm -hmm. because my sister my sister does too. Yeah, and I love girls. Like, so Mm -hmm. here's the thing: there's a difference between saying you don't love women versus you find it hard to socialize with them. That's two different things. Mm -hmm. I love women. I'm I'm very much a womanist. I don't Mm -hmm. call myself a feminist because I'm intersectional. That's a whole other conversation. Yes. And as a womanist, I will always fight for us. Yeah. But half of you hoes can't come to my house. Right. And so there's that duality of whenever you have a uh, somebody in the family who's been through a lot, people have a hard time holding them accountable out of guilt. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the child who was left behind tends to be the child that acts out because nobody feels like they can discipline them. Right. I feel like that's now happening with black women. Like mm-hmm. I feel like because black women are seen as the most disrespected and dishonored, no one can chin check a black woman but another black woman. Right. And we often don't because we're told that if you call your sister out, you're a turncoat or a pick me. Mm-hmm. There are real pick me's that live amongst us, but they're not the ones who are pointing out the toxic traits that all human beings have. It's the ones who are pandering. Well, yeah, I mean, we and we've we've gotten a lot of slack on our podcast for talking about um, domestic violence situations and mm. domestic abuse situations in relationships, and pointing out the fact that there's a lot of women, a lot of black women in particular, that put their hands on men. Yeah, and I'm that, not with that, it. that that a lot of times are the first ones to do it. They do it first, and yeah. so the men in response, it's their retaliation, which doesn't make it okay. It doesn't it doesn't make it excusable behavior? But oftentimes we we get we we want the the privileges of mm-hmm. equality, but we don't want the responsibility of it. Talk about and it, and so that gets that that becomes a, a different type of conversation that I think a lot of women in general are afraid to have. But so, what I don't like about podcasting, um, beautiful segue. Look at that. You can tell she's a professional, guys. What I don't like about podcasting, um, there's two things. The, the one, the the first one that I think is the most um, that has been the most challenging for me is potting through things. It's, I'm, I host a podcast with a friend, with someone who's my friend, right? And when we're both personally going through something, if she's going through something, if I'm going through something, we both, we both have to work really hard at not 
at not exposing or not sh- not oversharing when we start to to have our catch up or we have to be very meticulous and dance around certain things and pod through things that we don't really feel comfortable talking about or wanting. I mean, the first year of our podcast was incredibly controversial. Um, yes. You guys can Google. We had, we, we started with three members and then, and then became two and then, and then there were two, just the two of us. Um, and you left the network that you started off with as and well. We left the network that we started off with as well, which, you know, was also controversial. Even being a part of a network with somebody that is, you know, not not really the the friendliest, not really the friendliest of um, of characters to towards black women in particular. And so, you know, there there was a lot of of drama that that came with that, and a lot of baggage that we came with, and we just potted through it. Every every week we had to have a conversation. Every, I mean it was almost impossible not to address certain topics that would come up or not to address comments and not, and not to address um, a lot of the criticism that we got. Do you so- read the comments or does somebody else bring it to you? Cause when I was on Hollywood unlocked, unless my friends were sending me screenshots, I made it a point to avoid a lot of the comments cause I wanted to be pure and I didn't want to be affected too much by what people were saying in the comments. Um, well I didn't read the comments that were on the podcast page, but a lot of the comments were finding their way to my personal page. Oh. And so there was kind of no way around that. I had to then filter, filter who could comment on my posts and who couldn't. Um, but I never, I mean, I learned my lesson on love and hip hop that reading the comments would, was absolutely the worst possible thing you could do for your mental health. Um, you said the key word, you said love and hip hop. Yeah. Yeah. So doing that, it was that, that yeah. Your that spirit changed. just left your body just now when I, <laughs> love and hip hop. Here's the funny thing, That right? changed my perspective. Most of the people who are on Twitter and in the save room comments and whatever, in their minds think that they would love to be on a reality show. Everybody in some degree wants to be on a reality show these days. It's considered like a big deal. Like, oh, I just need my moment. It's so easy. You, you get all this glamour. You are someone who has been very, very vocal about how you did not enjoy it. And it's not something that made you excited. Like you, you couldn't see, probably see yourself being on another, another uh, reality show. No. Well, also, I why? Mean, well, you and I have talked about too the fact that um, when you're when you when you participate on in something like that, the only way to really leverage it properly is to participate for several seasons, and so people can actually people can actually invest. They have a, a chance, a real shot at investing in you as, and in your character you with the, and your story you, arc, right? Yeah. Um, and I feel like I did two seasons, and and some people like me and some people didn't and some or and some people didn't get didn't care at all. Most people were indifferent because of because I wasn't on I was only on for two seasons versus you know most some of the most famed characters were on for 3 and 4 and 5. Some messy stuff happened during the two that you were on though. Well, yeah, but I don't think but I think um it wasn't a, it wasn't memorable enough in the grand scheme and I right. don't think there was any there was enough redeemable uh moments that would have that that were impactful enough to combat whatever everybody else saw that was chaotic and dramatic in my life. Um, it was which, very chaotic. Which which really kind of then defeated the purpose of my participation in the first place. Because there wasn't, I mean, the second the second season I did, at least the focal point was music, right? Mm-hmm. The first season, though, was, a, was a, a, a broken, toxic relationship that we ended up you know, exposing the uh, exposing a lot of the dark the dark skeletons in our past in order to participate. Do you regret so, it at all, like being on the show, or do you think that it was a necessary evil? Um, I don't. Th- I think that it um, it 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 showed me who I it 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 reminded me who I was at the at the time because I I felt like I was playing a character because mm. the, a lot of the story that we were that that we were living on the show that was a part of production was were things that 
were being rehashed from before. So we were picking old, we were picking scabs. We're picking scabs and irritating old wounds on the show. So it wasn't like in our present in that in our present space when we were filming it that 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 those were current emotions, but when you rehash things, sometimes you 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 can pick a little too deep. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then you're like, oh, I thought we were playing, but now I really want to fight you in real life. Right. So yeah. then you know, it's all funny. It's all fun and games when you play fight until somebody has bloody nose. And, and I'm the kind of person who will, I'm the friend who will take it too far. That's why I don't like. To and play I am fight. At, double Aries. Double so, Aries. I would never. Play double Aries. I'm like, please, <laughs> please don't do this. Please don't do this. Like I have matches in my pocket, but but I literally my hands are lighters. Like my hands are flamethrowers. You are, please you, don't do you this. You are the smoke. Forget looking for and the smoke. So, you are the smoke. And so you know, I think um, similarly to to what I hated about podcasting too is the fact that. Um, you know, you have to you have to work through it. You have to record, no matter what's going on in your relationship. No matter how, you have to still save face and show up and make a presentation of something that may or may not be true to you, to how you feel, or really what you think about something or someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing I I don't like about podcasting is that the success rate has more to do with how much attention you get and and how many eyes are on you. And as an <sighs> artist, it's the opposite. As an artist, you don't. Not all press is good press when you're a creative. You yeah. want you want press because you want recognition, you want accolades, you want acknowledgement, you want validation from from the based on the quality of of something, not not just because. And I I realized with podcasting that in order to be successful in the space, all you really had to do was was keep people's attention. And that to me was it was it was kind of like so it doesn't matter then what we say like the quality of our content then doesn't determine whether or not we're worthy of the check what what determines that is well how messy can we be it's about it's not about You're the right quality about of the that. content yeah. it's really about the attention it's like well as an artist you you want people to like you you want people to like your your craft you want people to like the product that you create for everybody for the audience when you're a podcaster, you don't care if anybody likes you. You just want people to, to listen. You want people to, to watch and listen. Jason, when he was on the show, I'm thinking now, like he said to me, because he when he came on, he said, Blue Floyd Mayweather told me that the villain makes more money. Always. And so he was like, it's smarter to just play the villain. But that's not true for women. That I never know. That never works for women. That's not sustainable. Because look at Amarosa. Like, people hiss at her when she walks down the street. For women. It's not sustainable for women. We're he- not socialized to, to play the villain and not be smeared with different things. And so when I hear And people- even when you're not the villain and you are genuinely kind to people, you are still deemed the villain to in somebody's story. You, you were privy to a, pri- a private conversation mm-hmm. where... And I always work so hard talking about working through things. I always work so hard to be transparent on the show, but not share too much of my business. Yes. And get myself in trouble. Of course. And there was a moment where you you were talking about how direct, but I was being direct with somebody without being spicy. I was just being matter of fact. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about how I'm being direct to clearly communicate, but other people sometimes are direct to weaponize. They, like they weaponize how direct yeah. they're being. They're being their directness is is a defense mechanism. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I'm just literally trying to sincerely communicate the truth. Yeah, and I think there I've had people tell me before that if I was a man, my personality would would be considered a lot friendlier. Like there's some things that I do that in a woman I'm seen as difficult because I like I can't be bullied. You can say whatever you want. If I said no, I meant no. Like I, I can't. My nose don't turn into yeses. Right. And I think people think that when it, with a woman you can be clever and massage her ego. And I've been told it's masculine how clear I am about my yeses and my nose. Has there ever been a time when you look back where you realize that being an artist, because there is a, a dark side of being artists, is you want to be liked, but sometimes you end up pandering to being liked. Has there ever been a time when you found yourself thinking? damn, maybe fuck the optics. I'm going to tell the truth, even if I'm the bad guy. 
or has your training as an artist made you say no comment and like go away? Um, I think I always secretly hoped that the truth would just expose itself. Mm. And, and from my experience, people always expose themselves. So I've never had to, I've never had to tell my side of the story in a lot of instances because other people have told it or, or other instances, other situations and circumstances have allowed for whatever my experience was to be mirrored with somebody else through somebody mm -hmm. else's um, experience. And so I've never had to, you know, speak ill about really about almost anybody. There's very few people I can count on one hand in my career that I, that I would have anything nasty to say anything about. And, and I'm lucky because I don't, I don't think a lot of artists have that experience. That is very rare, but could you ever see yourself having maybe a petty cheat meal? Like, you know what? I've been, my hands have been clean. Fuck it. I'm gonna just tell the truth today. And y'all like, have you ever had that? Because for me, I do the grace thing, and mm -hmm. it wasn't until perfect example. Jason went on Drink Champs and shared a truth that was nasty that I had been holding in mm. for several years. Okay. And once he shared that, I was like, oh. Like, oh, okay, so we can talk about this oh, now. We, oh, oh, so we talking about this now. We yeah. talking about it. And so sometimes I'm the kind of person where I won't speak at first. Right. But once the steel is off, well, since, you know what I mean? Have you ever, because a part of me, as your friend, I think you're so gracious, Bridget. You're so gracious. And if people really understood how big your heart was, despite your your boombastic voice and your Aries mm -hmm. nature, they'd be like, oh, that girl's heart is pure. And I almost feel like when you are a beautiful woman who can sing and you you were touring with Hove and you have a Grammy and you're on the sh like people think you're shiny and they, they dehumanize you. Oh, yeah. And so like if there was a common misconception about Bridget Kelly mm -hmm. in 2023, what would it be? A common misconception. Because you come off very polished friend and people would love to dehumanize polished people. I mean, I think I am pretty polished, but I think a lot of my polish is, has, was, has been a, uh, a, fear, a, a fear response, a trauma response. Ooh, unpack that for the girls who were like, wait um, a minute, you just came for me. Yeah, being polished is a trauma response. Mm -hmm, Perfectionism is. is a trauma response. Black excellence is a trauma response. It's a trauma response. Um, I don't believe in imposter syndrome, and there is, there is a really magnificent um, uh, psychiatrist that I follow, a black, uh, black psychiatrist that I follow. Oh, and what's she, her name? Ooh, look her I'm up. I'm going to find it right now because she is... By the um, way, guys, not all therapists and psychologists are good. So when I hear somebody's good and they have that title, I get excited. Because some of y'all just be going to DeVry and saying anything. Her name is uh, Raquel Martin. Oh, that name sounds familiar. Raquel Martin, PhD. She is, that's that's her Instagram. Raquel Martin, um, look that up. I'm really writing this down, Psychologist, I'm sorry, not a psychiatrist, psychologist. Um, oh, and yes. she has a podcast called Mind Your Mental. Um, Ooh, I'm gonna and add it to my list. she is a, prof a professor at Tennessee State. Um, so she lives in Nashville, but she is a Philly native, um, which means that she's got all the sauce. She's so, keeping it in a buck. Yeah. So she she uh, had posted a TikTok video that we referenced on our pod around the fact that imposter syndrome is all is is in fact not imposter syndrome. It is a, it is a trauma response. Mm -hmm. We've all been conditioned to believe less of our of ourselves. So that by the time we are the the norm, the norm, the normal circumstances that we've been exposed to, that we're privy to, n never provide the opportunity or the space for us to be our biggest and grandest selves and, and vibrate at our highest level. The world is built against us, like, right? Quite literally. So systemically, we've never we've we've never actually even caught a glimpse of our potential. We have no awareness of it. So when we're in a space where there is actually room for it. We we freeze not because we don't think we belong there, but because we've never experienced belonging there, nor have we been taught that it makes sense for us to belong there. So logically, we can't even apply it. So it's not even really. It's not that you feel like an imposter. It's just new. 
But imposter yeah. syndrome for anybody black or brown is 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 in response to the trauma of never having felt seen or heard or represented in a way that's authentic to you yeah. in that space and in that moment. So shout out to her because she really she really is she really hit the nail on the head with that for me. And I think I have my imposter syndrome more so came from not feeling not feeling like I like I had earned my right to be there. There were there were moments that I felt like I I I needed to earn. And I didn't. And I didn't. We do earn. attach something being worthy with struggle, especially as people of color. One hundred percent. Yeah. And so I really didn't. I was like, well, I mean, I worked hard, but did I did I struggle enough for this? And so to me, it's it, we we also we compound and we conflate, um, you know, our our worth to perseverance. How much can we persevere? How much can we endure? How much can we? Can we stop being donkeys in twenty? Like, how much resilience do we have to? Do we have Yeehaw. to? Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> how much? How much do we have to play the mule? Yeah. In order to in order to deserve a break, you know what I mean? And I think I I suffered a little bit from that, but I don't think that um, the biggest misconception though about me, I would say, is that um, is that I'm bitter. Wow. I think people really, I think when we talk about um, artists, I've always hated being called an underrated art, an, an underrated artist. Even unsung. When people be on unsung, I'll be like, ooh, wait a minute. Like, I, like that's, what are you trying to say? Some of them titles are a little backhanded compliment Yeah, it, it didn't feel, any, anybody's like, yo, you were so, you're so underrated. And I kind of, and I, I was, it's, it's cringe to, it's cringy to me because I feel like underrated just means that I wasn't worthy of the attention that I, or I, I never got the attention that I deserved, but I didn't want attention. I really didn't, I didn't want attention. I really just wanted an actual shot. And I don't think I really got the shot that I, that I felt like I should have had in the time that I had it. Right. And I've always said timing is more important than talent. Timing actually plays Absolutely. A much more pivotal... Oprah couldn't be Oprah right now. No way. She, she'd get dragged. Absolutely not. What she built, if it, she hadn't come out in 87, it would not have worked out. We talked about, um, over MLK Week uh, in, on the podcast, we talked about the fact that the activists that we revere so much now would never have had the impact today that they had then. None of never. them. Yeah. Never. Uh, Malcolm I, X. Malcolm X would have been radical, going live on Twitter, and would have been banned from Twitter. We would have thought he was Umar. We, we would have. We would have. He would have been. Him. He would have been Farrakhan. He would have yes. been, and people would have been like, "Nope, radical, censor him." MLK would have been too soft, too nice. He he would have been another and, pastor. And had a sex scandal, and allegedly. Had, right, sex scandals. You know what I James mean? James Baldwin would have had some white boy from France telling his business, and he was drinking all the time. Audrey Lorde had white men in her bed, but she was a lesbian. Like There were so many flawed activists who... Social, the lack of social media is why their legacies thrived. Yeah. yeah. But I think when I was talking to you earlier, when we were at the house, I was like, Richard, I think you were ahead of your time. Mm -hmm. I agree. The very thing you were trying to do back then, not everybody in their mama wants to be. Well, no, there's just, there's like one or two artists in particular that have, that have um, really cultivated a sound that I felt I had with some of the same producers. I agree. 10 plus years ago. Yeah. Um, which is great. And it's no shade to them at all. I think, I mean, I'm, I think there's room for everyone, but I definitely would say that I think people assume that I'm bitter because I pivoted in a, in a different direction and I'm enjoying it, but I'm still also, I'm still passionate about making music. It just, my, my, my mission is different. My end goal is different. I think I, 
I think I, I, I accomplished a lot of what I wanted to accomplish in my career very early. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know how far to move the goalposts once I hit it. It was like, well, damn, but there's still some grassroots shit I want to do. So do I, do I really move the goalposts that far if I've... There are artists who are around for 20 years and never get a Grammy. Right. And so there's like, artists who've never who who may never in a in a 40 year career ever perform at Madison Square Garden. And that was my first show as a signed artist. This uh, not so subtle flex. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what I, I mean? Love it. There Talk are your shit, friend. There I love are when moments. There are moments that I can and milestones for my career benchmarks that I that I always wanted that were important to me that I was able to hit very early. And I was able to to get paid to travel different places and sing different places and go you know, try food in different places, go to, ca- like, doing karaoke in Japan was probably one of the most fun experiences ever. Oh, that's amazing. That's, and isn't so, that where they created karaoke? I think so. I believe that is who I created karaoke. I am not being racist. I believe it I, is. I, I thought it was Japan or Korea. It's either Japan or Korea. It's one of them. Um, And so, no, I believe it is Japan Um, that created karaoke. But we can we can Google it. We'll look it up. Um, But yeah, those kinds of moments for me, those kinds of memories for me are timeless. They're priceless memories for me. So I'm like, you know what? There are artists that may be more successful in other areas. They may their longevity in within their music career might extend beyond their expectations. I'm I I exceeded my expectations in the first two years of being a signed artist. What's another word for? Because I was thinking about whenever someone doesn't like something, what do you put in its place to still capture the sentiment? So if someone is saying that you're underrated. Would hidden gem be better? Because I could even have a tinge. Like, how does someone express that they love you and they wish that you had gotten more of your flowers? Like, how do they express that? Because that's what they're trying to say, even if they're using the wrong verbiage. And um, so, how do how do they verbalize that kind of love and frustration? Um, I would say I, I would I would prefer underexposed to underrated. Mm. Where's, I think under power. I think underexposed is a better is a better choice of words. Mainly because I I think a lot of what we, a lot of what drove. Unfortunately, I I was like my my emergence as an artist was at the at the very beginning of like the embryonic stage of social media. Yeah, it was like two thousand eight ish. Yes, that's when yeah. I was the year I got signed. Yeah. So by the time I was by the time Twitter was a thing in two thousand and nine, that was when I was on tour with Jay. Oh, so, and by Jay, she means Jay-Z, guys. So this so, is what happens when, so you're, when your famous I wasn't, friends come in the studio, Jay. <laughs> I wasn't aware of the, I wasn't aware of the, of the magnitude of social media at that time. Yeah. And I was also being groomed by artists that were able to become incredibly successful and, and world-renowned and popular because there was a, a separation and a mystique about their artistry and their per- and their personal private life, right. right? And so because I was being groomed by them, it never occurred to me that that formula would be would be obsolete by the time it actually mattered. That's wild cuz I now that I'm thinking about it, it is the timing for you in particular because the world was changing while you were like I signed a publishing blossoming. I signed a publishing deal in 2008 that did not reflect streaming whatsoever. By 2011, that seems there were no now. hard copies of my music available. <gasps> so within 3 years, literally within 3 years, no one was printing hard copies of music anymore. Bridget, that is wild. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing, right? People who might think you are bitter, they're also you know that I, I literally quote this at least once an episode. Yeah. We don't see the world as it is. We see as, as as we are. For sure. Most people are thinking in your shoes they would be bitter. Well, yeah, because I think I think a lot of people who are bitter define themselves by the moments where they should be. 
where yeah. they should be bitter. By the way, you guys know that that's the word that we call the most toxic word in the English language. Should the word should will rob you of any kind of joy. right. And so for me, I look back and I think of I can look back at, at moments of misfortune where. I wish I wish that I would have been handled differently or treated mm-hmm. better, or I wish I would have had a, uh, an opportunity a, a, an opportunity that looked different. Um, so underexposed to me is just a better word because I think I think I got caught in that. I, I fell between the cracks during a time when the music industry was shifting in a way that required that demanded more personality, which I which I like shunned and yeah. kind of like hid from because that wasn't the way to do it. Nobody knew Rihanna's favorite color. Nobody knew nobody <laughs> knew what Beyonce what Beyonce, you know, liked to eat backstage. You know what I'm saying? And if yeah. they did, it was like it would it was performative. So it, no one really knew you don't know you don't really know anything about artists that came out before 2008. You don't you don't know anything about them as people. One of the things, well, I just, I'm listening to you talk and I feel like there's so many people who are going to be listening to this episode and what they're whether they're singers or not, they're yeah. going to be thinking about the idea of making peace with what is perceived as a missed opportunity, right? Mm. And one of the things that I think that you and I have in common is that, like, I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody that I used to work with or used to have worked for me mm-hmm. got a book deal, and then I'll get a call, like, boo, that should have been you. Like, how, how how does she have a book and you don't have... Like, I get those I can't calls. tell you how many songs have been sent to exactly. me. And people are like, oh, my God, you would have bodied this. And people think that they're they're standing for you. But it's actually, it feels like a scarcity mindset. Like, I know you love me, friend, mm-hmm. but I'm happy she got her book deal. I'm going I'm to worry about my own. You know what I mean? Like, and so when people are rooting for you and they're frustrated because they're like, where does all this love have to go? Yeah. We had a phone call recently where you were like, this is the year where everybody who's been rooting for me, mm-hmm. I'm going to give them something to root for. Yeah. And like, we had a conversation about, we've been around big personalities. Yes. Mandy, Jason, even, even Joseph. Yes. I'm going to call him by, by his government. Like yep. big personalities. And we tend to, even though we are have big personalities of ourselves, yeah. we tend to be really loving and like to support people. Mm-hmm. And like, no, I don't need a look. I like the work, right? Girls who love the content tend to be adjacent to those who are like razzle dazzle, look at me, look at me. And yeah. then there comes a moment where you're like, oh, I need to start doing some of that too. So how do you push yourself out of the mindset of the work matters first and saying, no, the work matters, but I actually have to push myself to be in the front. Like push myself more than just the content. Well, to me, the even the concept of a missed opportunity, if you don't know it's an opportunity in the moment, you wouldn't know that it's being missed. So Bars. It, it wasn't a it wasn't a missed opportunity. Bars. But also, if if it's something I that was out of my hands, then it then it, it wasn't an opportunity for me. If it was never in my hands to begin with, then yeah. it wasn't my opportunity. So when I think about even people sending me songs or 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 that being a reminder for other people, it's kind of like, I don't know who produced this. The song didn't wasn't mine first. I didn't write the record. So it, it's not a missed opportunity because it wasn't my opportunity. It wasn't mine to miss. You sound so Buddhist today, friend. I don't know if it's but the I mean, it's, or not. But it's I really, but I, but I genuinely feel that way. Like when people are like, well, what, we wish the label would have done more with you. They didn't know what to do, what to do with me. I was a singer, singer. And I loved everything. I loved, I listened to everything. And I mm-hmm. and I was inspired by everything, which was why building personal friendships with people within the label was easy because yeah. we all loved music. We connected in our fandom of this of music. But you also have the gift of gab too. It's not just that they love the music. Like you you are good at having conversation and, and no shade. Not everybody who can sing can talk. But also, but also there there is so little there there is there was so little room for people that could sing and talk. You had to pick. Yeah. You were expected to pick one. 
And that was very difficult for me too because I knew I, I, knew I was good at both and mm-hmm. I loved being good at both. So that I think was, you know, when we talk about missed opportunities, I think it was a missed opportunity for everybody else that had me signed to a label for, for 10 plus years that wait, knew wait, that wait, I was wait. able to talk and never and never capitalized on the fact that I could have been hosting my own TV show and Pause. y'all could have been eating off of that. 10? More than 10. Are you, are you kidding me? Oh yeah, I was signed for 12 years. Sometimes when y'all be talking about the music industry, it sounds like slavery. I'm not even going to hold you. Like, like 12 years a slave. Sure was. Wow. Mm. You know what's so crazy? Because when we talk about right now, you look at Bridget. Bridget I'm still, as your friend, I did not know that. I did not know it was that long. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm a little bit annoyed. See, this is what people be wanting to fight on your behalf. I'm going to chill out. I'm not going to say anything on camera. Yeah. I can't afford to. We talked a lot about what it's like to have these lessons that you've learned. Mm-hmm. And one of the people that we often talk about and damn about when we're talking about the idea of it's not too late is Tina Turner. Always. Because for those who haven't watched the documentary, Ugh. you have to watch the Tina Turner I documentary. Sob- I just got chills. My whole body just got chills. I sobbed watching that documentary. Sobbed. Tina Turner is my patron saint of aging. Mm-hmm. She's the reason why I carry being over 40 with a sense of levity because, number one, she, at 40 years old, she was going through what she was going through with Ike. Mm-hmm. She decided to be a Buddhist and chant. You guys, she's literally the reason why I became a Buddhist. And she was like, you know what? I'm just going to reinvent myself as a rock star. At 40 with three kids and an ex-husband, I'm just going to reinvent myself as a rock star. And they told her, you are a washed up showgirl. Like nobody starts at 40. Mm. By 45, a little song called What's Love Got to Do With It came out. Mm-hmm. And for us, we think that that that's when she started. In my age group, I'm thinking what's got, got to do with it was how Tina Turner started, not knowing she had a whole existence before that. Mm-hmm. She tells a beautiful story about reinvention. How do you think about aging now? Because most singers see aging as a bad thing, which we're in this space now where 40 is the new 20, it feels like. How do you reconcile aging in an industry that's always been obsessed with youth? Um... I think our obsession with youth is about what youth means to us. Mm, unpack that. Um, I think for someone like a Tina Turner, uh, Tina Turner was reborn. So it didn't really matter how old she was. She Her sound was totally different. Mm-hmm. Her presentation of herself was totally different. Her team was totally different. She went to Europe and said, fuck y'all. <laughs> She was like, "You're not about to find me with no fucking tambourine. I'm about to tease. I'm about to tease the fuck out of this hair. I'm not wearing these church shoes no more. I'm not wearing these these pantyhose. Give me some leather pants. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And 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 to me, that was like, oh shit, that's kind of that's kind of fire. That's kind of sexy. I know. And so, we all knew she was a woman of a certain age. She didn't look young." She looked like she was in her 40s. She really did. But so it wasn't like right. there wasn't anything you the, the youthfulness of it was I'm literally googling a picture. She doesn't look like she was in her 40s. The youthfulness of it to me was the was the confidence in who she was and where she was and whatever it was she was saying. Mm-hmm. But also I think the thing about artists that ages artists is not living up not living a full a fully inspired life. And Girl, I think you are preaching today. When you are I think that's what that's what keeps artists young is you have an infinite curiosity and an infinite insp- an infinite need to be inspired. You you're constantly seeking after something to inspire you even if you're not making music for everybody or making good music that people really enjoy. What keeps I'm, you young? What, what what inspires you in that way? Love. Perfect. Oh. Love keeps me young. 
You know the minute you love keeps me young. You know the minute you said love, I'm gonna be thinking about our friend. Well, my friend and your fiance. Yeah, love, I'm, keeps, I'm, love I'm, keeps me young. I'm a big fan of the big little kid that comes out in you when I see you with yeah. him. Yeah, love, love to me keeps me young. And I realized that, um, you know, meeting someone older than me that that is a dad that has different life experiences. He's able, he, he has fun meeting me where I'm at because I'm younger than him. Mm -hmm. And, and it almost, it, it's almost an unspoken license, like, of, and, and a permission to just be youthful and be fun and, and be silly. You're like two little New and be goofy kids with me. in a sandbox. Like, you guys are like, you're Which like is, two little, like, it's like yeah. couples and Bam Bam when I see you guys together. But I also think that we both have this unwavering desire to grow, to mm -hmm. learn, to, adapt to be flexible i think what ages people is a lack of flexibility amen when you're not flexible with your with your surroundings when you're not adaptable to circumstances and situations they they decide how old you are because yeah. oh when you think about somebody that's old right they're not they're immobile there a lot of them are a lot of old people are immobile yep so they can't move they, and they definitely can't move fast they're not as active. Bruce, you just came for the, like, I'm coming for the old. I'm coming for the geriatrics. Look, I am. It takes but me a little bit longer to get out of bed, but I still have a young spirit. Uh -huh. I mean, a bitch, a bitch had vertigo for the first week of this year. Like, I'm not about to act like I'm I'm out here just spry I know, like, and agile. Yeah, we're not doing parkour on the wake up, but <laughs> it's definitely. Um, I definitely have realized that youth to me is for me anyway is rooted in um my 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 endless optimism and hope that something new is going to excite me yeah. and i think when you get old when you when you when you accept and embrace age as like as as old or something being old mm -hmm. it's it's there's nothing new about it there's nothing exciting about it love keeps you young love keeps me young that is so beautiful because love has to reinvent itself in it order for to. you in order for it to feel good like it can't it doesn't it can't get stale, so you have you have to keep the, the engines running. So you gotta use some sort of movement that gotta work. So love keeps me young. I'm about to ask you a question that I think a lot of people ask, and I t I try to ask like unconventional questions, but I actually want to know this: mm -hmm. if Bridget in 2023 mm -hmm. could go back to Bridget in 2008, oof, think about th think about her. Think about that young girl who had no idea what was coming. Mm. Right, like imagine, like look at her. How you know she felt, what she was going through, what she was hoping for, what she was scared of. Now, why am I getting teared up? <laughs> what would you say to her from a place of lo the love that's keeping you young now? Because mm. I feel her in the room, and I, and I don't know how to explain it. I feel her in the room. Every single thing that you feel is valid. Yeah. Because I think I think when you're young and you are trying to establish and develop yourself, mm -hmm. now I'm getting. Can we get some tissue? Why is now I'm like, getting teary eyed. Not the spirit of Bridget um, Pass is in the room. I can feel. Did you feel that? I feel yeah, it in the room. I do. I think. Um, I oh. I talked myself out of. Thank you so much. Thank you. I talked myself out of a lot of uh, feelings and thoughts that I had about what I wanted to sound like, what I wanted to look like. And I put my trust in people that maybe knew better and maybe, or maybe didn't. And yeah. I think a lot of the, a lot of the emphasis early on in my career was on what I looked like, um, how, how I, how I, what my, my sound was, 
instead of just how it felt for me. Yeah. And I think that I think that I um I did. I think I suppressed a lot and I think I deviated a lot from what I what I really thought and felt. I always I was always a tomboy. I always felt like I needed to be in sneakers. I always wanted I was young. I was in my early 20s. I should have been in sneakers. Mm-hmm. But I had a team and a, and a, a, a label of people that were like, well, no, you have to you have to look the part. So you got to be in heels. You got to you got to figure out how to perform in heels. And I was just like, I'm not a dancer. So why do I have to be in heels? And then, you know, five, five years later, not even five years later, three or four years later, you had artists come out like Tiana Taylor, who was an, uh, an, an undeniable star at Absolutely. 15, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And she was in sneakers. And she wasn't much younger than I was. Mm-hmm. And that was acceptable. And I just remember thinking, had I pushed the envelope a little bit harder for how I felt and validated my own feelings, then I think I would have I would have I would have had a little bit more conviction around the things that I needed, yeah. that I personally needed, not even just as an artist, but that I personally needed. So I think in, in 2008, I was what, 22? Oh, you were a baby. Um, I was 22, and I think if I could go back and tell my 22-year-old self, before signing a deal, because I signed in, in 2008, before signing anything, stick to your guns. Yeah. Stick to your fucking guns. Because what ended, all of the things that I, that I, <laughs> everything I said I wanted to wear ended up becoming popular after the fact. Mm-hmm. The very sound that I said, I, that I desired, the, 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 how I articulated it, the things, the elements sonically that I thought were so important that I felt like would really define me, I've literally watched it all been, be given to someone else, to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and I don't, again, the misconception is that I'm bitter about it. I'm not bitter about it. I think I, I think I now, I, I'm very confident in the trial and error process. And I don't think I was, conf- I, I wasn't, I was terrified of trial and error. Your friends can say things for you that you cannot say for yourself, right? My friends and I always joke about this. Mm-hmm. Like when it's somebody messes with your friend, you want to fuck them up. Absolutely. But if they mess with you, now you want to show grace. So mm. I'm going to say this as your friend because you can't say it and I know that you wouldn't even want to say it. You were robbed of so much. And I think that's why we got emotional because you were gaslit, right? Oh, like, a lot. Like the world gaslit you. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes when we're being gracious – we forget to create time just to mourn the little girl who was robbed. And I, ugh. why do you keep doing this? I'm sorry. <laughs> I be watching Oprah too much. She told me to do this. This is really, this is, this is like, so, so I, I want to create space it's giving for Oprah, her. It's giving Oprah and Gail. This <laughs> yeah. is giving Oprah and Gail. I want to create is. space for that young girl who was robbed mm-hmm. and all the people who lied, who played in her face. Everything you do now, do it for her. You know, do it for her. No. I'm going to do it for the for the version of me now. Yeah. Because that that little girl would not have she wouldn't have understood the value of it. That's true. So I don't want to do anything for the past. I want to do it for now because now I can recognize just how crucial it is to trust myself. Yeah. I wouldn't have I didn't know the value of that at 22. You don't know shit at twenty. You don't know shit at twenty two. Your frontal lobe has not even congealed yet. Your you brain know is still nothing mushy. at twenty two. Like yeah. and and even when you think you know something at twenty two, you know nothing. Yeah. And the the beautiful thing about being thirty six is knowing how much I don't know, and being okay with that. But also knowing that what I do know, I can apply and put to good use and put to good practice. Yeah. And that whatever fruits are and whatever my harvest looks like from that, I I earned. I really earned. Yeah. Not even from hard work, but just from 
acceptance and flow and and being okay with being okay with whatever outcome it is. I was attached to so many outcomes at 22. So my my I couldn't manage my expectations. So I would not have even I wouldn't have been able to recognize a win at 22 the way that I can now at 36. That's my favorite thing about aging. Everything tastes better through pers- like clar- oh, yeah. clarity like even when it hurts is good news. And I feel like everything mm. tastes better from a space of clarity. Like have you ever fasted? Yeah. After a fast, you not for ha- very long. You can though. have a cheese it because then it, I become irritable, and, right? And now, and now irritability is depression. So <laughs> now, irritability means you're depressed. So now, if I'm irritable, I'm depressed. So now we don't fast because now not, fasting is gonna make me irritable. But if you do fast, I'm, I'm probably not gonna sleep that well. It's I, just, I need you to I'm support depressed. me, friend, because I'm about to do a detox uh, this weekend. And what kind of fast is this gonna be? A spiritual fast. So does that mean no food? It's yeah, been, it's giving like the like 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 a Ramadan I keep, observation. I keep, yeah, I keep on having like prophetic dreams that I need to do a 72 hour detox for some clarity so i'm just gonna listen to god and let that happen but i know that whenever i've fasted in the past and by the past i mean like 10 years ago because you get to a certain age fasting hurts everything tastes better after like you've gone without for a while like it, it cleanses your palate and i almost feel like sometimes when you have a season of figuring things out mm-hmm. and then you start to get the harvest it tastes better i feel like every win you get now it's going to taste better to you because you understand the full value of it in a very different and kind of intimate way but i will just say this though when you do come back because you have to come back mm-hmm. i should not have only done this an hour <laughs> i know like the hour flew by yeah it did i need to have a conversation with you about what it feels to be loved on by someone who loves you without question because as your friend mm-hmm. watching how his eyes light up when you walk into the room mm-hmm. That's why I'm so excited about you being a fiance. It's not because the word fiance looks good on the gram. I love watching the women that I love be loved on properly. And that mm. man would scorch the earth for you. Oh yeah. Well, so he, anybody he, who thinks that he know, tries, he tries to. And I have to he tries. I have to be like, bro, it's not Game of Thrones. No, you no, gotta relax. <laughs> we don't create space to tell women who are smart and articulate and beautiful and all the things that they're also allowed to be loved on properly but also being loved on properly is still subjective yeah and that has to be okay and i think that's the part that i've that i'm learning in my relationship which is a whole other episode for another day it really (laughs) is guys because we can't we can't (laughs) unpack all that but i will definitely say that you know i everything is everything is right on time the the alignment for me right now is unreal and i don't i couldn't imagine it i could not have envisioned it going any other way and in and in moments where i do where i do try and i try to imagine well what if it had gone this way Mm -hmm. what if i had chosen this instead of that what if i had you know decided to be a mom in my 20s instead of waiting until my late 30s to be even considering it you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. what if i had looked at things different like what if i had made a different if i made a left instead of a right very simple subtle things right Mm -hmm. and i and anytime i i do that i never end up at a place that is where I would have I end I end up it, the list gets longer and longer of the what ifs mm-hmm. and then I never actually land anywhere so I don't really I don't the I don't even know by the time I actually st- stop myself I, I'm so far from what I originally wanted anyway that it that to me it would it would would it would have taken me so far off of where I think I you're am. exactly where you're supposed to be and that's great to me because yeah. I I think that we all have these inner dialogues about with with ourselves about what we're doing wrong and what we're doing right and we're always our biggest critics and we're always the toughest on ourselves mm-hmm. and i think i'm in a place where i have no interest in being hard on myself anymore no interest well that sounds like peace friend yeah 
So can we take a toast to... We're going to take a toast to peace, to friend. To peace. Because, because woo, child. Peace. Uh, Bridget, I love you. I'm going to take this sip. <laughs> we started with a slurp and we're ending with a sip. Look at that. Evolution. You know what, pause. It was a gulp I, for I, me. I speak on, and that's what she said. It um, was a gulp for me. Uh, oh, you know what? Bridget gulp. is baiting me. We will continue this conversation at dinner. Uh, Bridget, this was too fast. You're coming to LA more, so we have yeah. to do a, an episode where we can talk about the other stuff as well. And I'm hoping that, that may need to be on a Patreon episode, right? Yeah, we may have to put that behind a paywall. On a very special we're gonna paywall, paywall edition, we're going to do a, a very special episode with Bridget Kelly about love and all the other drugs that we take these days. Uh, Bridget, tell the people who already know you, but for those who are new or living under a rock, where can they find you? Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at I am Bridget Kelly, one T, no E. Um, <laughs> For the Bridget and one E, no, not another E before the Y, just K-E-L-O-Y. Um, and every every Tuesday and Friday, I have uh, an incredible podcast that comes out called See The Thing Is. And what's happening with the podcast? And the podcast is going on tour. Woohoo! So very excited about that. Um, if you go to seethethingispodcast.com, you can get your tickets. We are going to be in Los Angeles on March 2nd. We're going to be in Atlanta on March 17th. We'll be in Philly on March 25th, DC March 26th, and New York City on March 31st. And I will be there for the for the Los Angeles ones. Yeah, you know I'm that friend. Time. I'm gonna be there with pom poms on, excited it's, it's about being on. It's LA. gonna be a really good time. So definitely check that out. And um, yeah, man, Blue, thank you so much for having me. I, I mean, it's you. it's weird to do this with your with your real friends. I know. <laughs> it's always like, okay, where do we go now? Back to you. Oh, like, back to you, Bob. <laughs> You guys, thank you for watching the show. Bridget will be coming back, but when she does come back, we are going to have to do some Patreon content because there's some some key keys I want to have behind the paywall. Yeah, we do. And shout out to our producer who let us go over it because, you know, the tears take time to dry. Love you guys. And as always, remember, we're all just human beings doing human shit. Bye. Bye. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for The, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Electric acid. Electric acid.